0: Welcome back to Why, though. We're so pumped to have you with us. Now, I know you've already been so spoiled these last two weeks. You've been so spoiled. You're saying, Tiffany, really? You have more gifts for me? How could you? It's not even (laughs) Christmas. But here I am. We come bearing gifts here at the Why, though. So, fam, lean in. We are in week three of Love is the Resistance. And Ashley, introduce our guest who's joining us for this beautiful conversation.
1: You guys, I am so privileged to introduce you to the person that I think is so perfect to talk about our topic for today, because she's a dear friend. She's also pastor of one of my favorite churches in America called Expression 58. And Jen is a lover of justice. She is passionate about people. She is a righteous judge. Like when I think of a biblical character Mm. to describe or compare Jen Toledo, there is no comparison, but you guys hear what I'm saying? She reminds me so much of Deborah she's fair, she's honest, she's open, she will preach the paint off the walls, and (laughs) you guys, I cannot wait to introduce her to the Why The listeners. so Jen Toledo, say hello to the people.
2: Hi, everybody. It is so good to be with you guys today. Tiffany, Ashley, thank you for having me. I am so excited for this conversation, and I love this community, Mm -hmm. so it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Aw,
0: Jen, tell us a little about yourself and maybe something that people might not know about you. Sure. Um...
2: Well, um, I pastor in L.A. Um, and have three kids, which, sweet Jesus, pray for me, y'all. Three teens, preteens. <laughs> it is real in these streets trying to raise these kids. Um, and I'm, I'm a California native, um, hugely passionate about justice, but both my husband and I have a big um, missions background, so he's a missionary kid, and I um, spend a lot of time overseas in Africa and different things and just kind of cutting my teeth there just trying to figure out how does this gospel really work in, Mm. in the real world, you know? And so, um, yeah, lots, I'm a first generation, uh, Mexican American immigrant. Um, but also, um, kind of just grew up in a very blended culture and world Mm. and, um, love that I get to kind of bring all those aspects into pastoring and doing justice work. Um, Really passionate about LA County, as Ashley yeah. knows, and heart for criminal justice reform and a heart for foster care reform, amongst other things. And I don't know, guys. I'm just out here trying to figure out how to do this like the rest of right? Us. Oh, and you
1: guys, she's freaking doing it. I mean, the county of of Los Angeles, which has one of the largest um, populations of, of children who are in the foster care system in America. And yeah. Jen is at the head of that table running a faith alliance that is able to actually support, you know, um, parents and families and caretakers um, through this process of foster care. And she's literally working with the city government and thousands of churches to overhaul the experience for children within the foster care system and for parents in the foster care system and so she's no she's not playing games and she sits on boards with you know judges in the criminal justice system in order to help us reform the criminal justice system here and very often people look to LA County to see across the nation to see what we're doing that we could Mm -hmm. do in other places and so Jen I salute you you are you truly are like one of those women who rises to the moment that you're living in and I know you're living it so it's like you can't see the forest for the trees (laughs) at times But my word, like Mm -hmm. this is a woman who God moves through mightily. Also, like when you're sitting at the table with Jen, just having dinner or hanging out at her house or she's hanging out at your house, like she will start telling you these stories that will have your jaw (laughs) on the ground, like miraculous healings, God doing like signs and wonders. I mean, stuff that Mm -hmm. happened literally in the book of Acts is like how (laughs) Jen and her husband, her wonderful husband, Hona, live their life. You'll just be like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Every time she talks. So I just had to
0: continue to brag on You so, I'm so grateful that you're here. (laughs) Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, even just hearing these, I feel like I'm getting a contact tie. Just reminded (laughs) of just how, just how, how gracious God is. Yeah, and how Mm -hmm. what just that the faithfulness to your post and your position and your plot Mm -hmm. in life is so sacred and holy. And we each bring our unique gifts to the table. So just thank you, Jen. Thank you for being you. Yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. So good. Um,
1: okay, so I want to talk about this chapter in my book today called Love Thy Neighbor. And, you know, I I love this idea in scripture. And I think that the world we're living in and the church is changing so drastically. Yeah. And yeah. we're all running to kind of keep up with that. Or perhaps you're listening and you've, you know, been like a, like some of us and have experienced church hurt and are unsure where you stand with the church or perhaps the last couple of political seasons, you're Mm -hmm. like, you know what, I'm going to love Jesus in my real life, but I am through with the church. (laughs) 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 And we're all trying to figure out what does it mean Mm -hmm. to be a part of the beloved community of Christ. And I really think so much of of that work centers on loving the neighbor Mm -hmm. and loving people who don't look like you, think like you, act like you, live like you, vote like you. And, you know, I think the body of Christ really is in process. And I say in the book that some call this a revival or a reformation, but I, I like to call it a rebuke. Because I think that is Mm -hmm. the time in the season that we're living in, that God is gently and sometimes overtly, (laughs) aggressively giving us a rebuke. And and part of that, I believe, is because of the way we've related to others and the way that we have assigned ungodly things to people who are created in the image of God. And I think that the Lord is not pleased Mm -hmm. and that it's time for reform and it's time for, you know, it's time for rebuke. It's time for us to heed the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to change so that we can really understand people who are made in God's image. And Mm -hmm. Jen, you speak so beautifully about justice and you speak so beautifully about this idea. So can you tell us like, what's your heart for this when it comes to God, to loving our neighbor, to doing justice in the world? Like, what does that look like for
2: you? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Totally. You know, I think even that passage where, where Jesus, you know, you talk about it in the book, but where Jesus addresses this, right. And he's He's talking about well who's my neighbor who's your neighbor and, and he tells the story um, you know about the Good Samaritan and you know I think about that story and we've heard it you know probably but I think there's something that really stands out in that story to me um, when thinking about this and it's the fact that Jesus basically through the story says it's impossible to love your neighbor mm-hmm. unless you're willing to step into their narrative yeah unless you're willing yeah. to stop your own perspective, journey, whatever, and step into somebody else's pain and narrative. And I think that's where we've struggled. Like mm-hmm. we've wanted to stand on our side of the street and yell and tell people while we're right, right. Mm-hmm. Why we're right. Or we, we've, um, you know, many times judged people in pain and said, well, it's your fault. You got there probably. Or right. what were you doing that got you in this circumstance? Or, you know, we just have done this so much. And, and so I, I've been thinking a lot about the, the fact that if you know the only way we're going to be able to love our neighbor, it's not going to be in our words, it's not going to be, you know, just in theory. It's like we have to be willing to stop, like stop the madness, stop mm. your own opinion, stop mm. your own journey, and just engage in somebody else's pain, like, mm. and really get in and and walk with people. And I think that. It's just like good old fashioned bible, right? It's like right. good old fashioned come back to the <laughs> basics and um, who cares if you're right? It doesn't matter if you're right if you don't have love, right? So yeah. I think it's just God is reorienting us to what love looks like and it's so needed. And I think I think that's been probably the biggest pain pastorally that I've I've seen people walk out from this season is like feeling like where did the love go? Where did the mm. love go in the church, you know? And Um, it's who we are and what marks us and makes us different and so I love um, I love this chapter I love um, this conversation because I think this is exactly where God is bringing us back into what does it look like to really love our neighbor
0: Mm. I really love that you pointed out stepping into the narrative just the imagery that came with that Mm -hmm. and the idea of stepping into somebody's world is so uncomfortable because it it means means leaving our own and it means considering that other people are human Mm -hmm. and we can't we can't You know, paint somebody into a caricature if we have proximity. You know, it's hard to it's hard to hate people that you know and that you spent time with. Um, I was thinking about, I believe it's uh, it's nationwide, yeah, National Night Out. But our our neighborhood and I I shared this with Ashley recently and I posted about it. But we do an annual um, just neighborhood potluck at the end of our Mm -hmm. cul-de-sac, and we've got people from all kinds of nations um, in our little wing of the cul-de-sac and. And it was National Night Out was started so you could get to know your neighbors because it's yeah. hard to rob somebody or hurt somebody or harm somebody that you've broken bread with. Mm-hmm. And it, this was actually started by the police department. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yep. uh, but it there's just so much value to this idea mm-hmm. of being willing to humbly ask how you're doing or how's work or what are you doing mm-hmm. or what are you into and just willing to listen and learn. And I think yeah. that we've just In this, you know, Western me first thinking, we just think like, if this doesn't advance my life, why would I do this? If this isn't advancing my personal kingdom, why would I lean into that? And it just is this. This push to the kingdom of God where we are not centered, where the king is centered and where we invite others as equals to just be to to, to see them as valuable and to see them as worthy of their own
2: story outside of what we decide their story is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think even like not like especially doing that with people that are so different than us. Right. Right. Like How many people really carve out time in their schedule to engage with people that they don't like? (laughs) completely <laughs> different than them. Yeah. Like yeah. we, we, we work to avoid that at all costs. And like yes. you know, even with that story with the Good Samaritan, it's like stopping for the one is deeply, deeply, deeply inconvenient, you know, mm-hmm. and uncomfortable. Like there's nothing fun about that. There's nothing fun about stopping on the road to to pick up a bloody person and get their blood all over your donkey or wherever <laughs> you know yeah. their head is. Like <laughs> there is nothing fun about that. You right. know? And, and I think um you know, I think sometimes I feel like we struggle to even do that with people that are like us, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people that are really different than us. Gosh, it's so
1: true. Mm-hmm. I remember a couple of years ago when I moved to to New York, and now we're back in Southern California, of course. But you know, when I moved to New York, I felt like the the whole first year. I mean, we moved in June of 2016, right before the you know presidential election that seemed to really start splintering the church in a very visible way. It was already yeah. doing that, mm-hmm. but it became very visible, mm-hmm. you know, in the media and everywhere else. And I, I felt so strongly like the Holy Spirit said to me, "You have always preached a good word about loving your mm-hmm. other, but you have not." done it. Wow. And I think sometimes that we forget, you know, this idea of loving other people, you know, because I was always like, yes, we have to love our other, we need to, the Bible talks about the stranger and the foreigner, the Bible talks about the poor and the, you know, and I would just go on and on and on. But the truth is, I had my own biases based on the way I had grown up in the class that I had grown up in and how I viewed, you know, people who had a lot of money or people who were at a certain position in, in society or a certain position in the church or, you know, how I viewed them, how I judged them and how I even hated them and I felt like God really spoke to me about that because it's actually become okay to hate certain people (laughs) and it's like I felt the Holy Spirit really deal with me like no just because somebody is this way or that way like don't forget that I am the one who saw Zacchaeus in that tree Mm -hmm. and I went to his house and loved him don't forget that I called the tax collectors Mm -hmm. to follow me don't forget that I had accountants and doctors who were there that I told them to follow me and they did and I feel like you know we all have these things because life has shaped us in a certain way and we have been treated a certain way by certain people and then we can easily become the kind of people who broad stroke or label whole people groups Mm -hmm. and sometimes it can be okay you know like sometimes in the justice camp it's totally okay to hate the rich yep and it's like, well, wait a minute, the Bible doesn't say oh, we yeah. can do that. <laughs> you know, Like the Bible Absolutely. actually talks about a Christ who is good food for the rich mm-hmm. and who he empties them, but he fills the poor. And so mm-hmm. sometimes we need to be filled and sometimes we need to be emptied. But we as believers have to choose a posture that God loves people and that we are those who are willing to walk alongside those who need to be filled and those who need to be emptied. Yeah. And, and I love that prayer that Mary prays, you know, her praise, mm-hmm. her song of praise, the Magnificat, you know, because she mm-hmm. talks about this. Mm-hmm. like. Like it's what she, it's what she praises God for, you know, it's yeah. what she praises him, that he, you know, brings the high low and that he is the one who fills those who need to be filled. And he's the one yeah. who empties those who need to be emptied. And I think that, you know, we really have to examine, you know, what are we loving our neighbor? Do I love my Republican neighbor? Do I love my Democrat neighbor? Do I love my, yeah. you know, and Jen, you do such a good job of talking about like, hey, Jesus is not American. He's yeah. not Republican or Democrat. Like, right. can you just expand on what I've just sure. said a little bit more yeah. and share
2: your thoughts? Totally. You know, I think what, what really stands out to me when I look at how Jesus, because um, he also lived in a political climate, you know, and how did right. Jesus do it? And there was church politics, you know, there was religious politics, obviously, like, and there was political, you know, like the government politics in his day. And how did he do it? And I, I often am reminded of the fact that the, the kingdom of God has a culture, mm. right? Jesus had a culture, like a life culture. And... Yes, he was Jewish, but he was more kingdom than Jewish, right? And those both lived inside of him. But like he knew how to put his Jewishness in the backseat when it conflicted with his kingdomness. Mm. And so, you know, when he needed to speak with a Samaritan woman, like something a Jewish man would never do, because that was kingdom, he could he could do it. And he knew how to put his his Jewishness, you know, um, second to his kingdomness. And I think this is where we've gotten a little messy. Because I think that we have not understood the difference between our Americanism and our kingdom. Right. And we've gotten really yeah. blurry, and we think that, um, or even our church culture, you know, has has yeah. become kingdom culture. We think is kingdom culture, or American culture. We think is kingdom culture, and because we we don't know the word and we don't know the nature of God in a lot of ways, um, we've been more discipled by our our American culture than the kingdom than yes. the word of God, and so. Um, I think you know what what we're witnessing is is people not knowing how to, dis, you know, decipher between the two, and it's true. You can be a Democrat, you can be a Republican, whatever. But at the end of the day, we have to be more Kingdom than either of those things, right? right. And our loyalty can never be to to anything when you're a Kingdom citizen. Like your your loyalty can never be to a political party, um, truly. When you're when you're loyal to the Kingdom of God, and so I think we need to learn how to be more Kingdom than anything else. And um, I think that's where we've struggled um, because it's, you know, it's kingdom culture that's going to change the world. It's not American culture and it's not Republican culture or Democrat culture or church culture. It's kingdom culture yeah. that's going to change the world. And so yes. I think we need to be discipled in the kingdom and and learn to be more kingdom like Christ than anything else Um and I think, you know, unfortunately, politics and partisanship has had a an, an idolatrous role in our lives. Mm. And um, we have, we've held it at a place it should not be held. And so we've lost our witness in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh,
0: one thing I want to... Two things that come to mind as you share that is the idea that you said church culture isn't the mm-hmm. answer. It's kingdom culture. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm just going to say it. But that <laughs> tagline that we've all heard, the local church is the hope of the world by... Uh. I will not name his name on the podcast, but I'm like, that has to die because that's not kingdom still. Mm -hmm. The idea that kingdom, the way of Jesus, the church Mm -hmm. can be defined in different eras. And obviously, as you're pointing to the geopolitical nature, the makeup of the United States Mm -hmm. specifically, and of course we have listeners all over the world, but the geopolitical nature, even just here. Uh, has has such an influence on that of their church culture right so if we're just saying that local church is the hope of the world but they're deeply influenced and enmeshed with local politics public politics you know all of these things Mm -hmm. then again we've watered down this witness as you're saying Mm -hmm. so the idea that we're looking into that kingdom culture rather Mm -hmm. than just church culture because church culture will fail and and leaders fall and all Mm -hmm. of this so there's There's that that it's it's a it's a house of cards it's a house of cards honestly, and then the other thing that um, I loved what you said about this idea that to love other people who aren't like us or that we Mm -hmm. dislike. It, it, we often feel, oh, if they've done something to hurt me, therefore I have ammunition not to like them. Mm-hmm. And I just want to differentiate if somebody's harming you, we're of not course. saying, you, need, you know, obviously there's no need to love her if they're, they're the cause of your abuse. And I think in the past, because there hasn't been that caveat, people are like, so you're saying I need to stay with people who harm me. And, and that's, that's even diminished the witness of the church is this understanding of, okay, I need to stay in toxic spaces. And so this idea of loving people simply because they exist is so powerful, even if you don't agree with them or if you dislike them. But mm-hmm. it's not something that we need to, you know, be with people that are that are harming us. Just wanted to add that in there since that's, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> that's, that's often great. emails that I get or d- direct messages I get. hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is so important to distinguish. And I think that that's part of why writing a book on conflict is so challenging, because again, all these ideals are shaped inside the institutions that we come up in. They're shaped inside our home of origin. And our idea of what loyalty looks like depends on the health, the level of health we experience in our upbringing. And so what we can tolerate is also determined by what we experience in our upbringing. Most people come up in a healthy pathway um, you know, with strong rooted connections, don't easily fall into to a cult, for example. (laughs) It does happen, of course, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I still think like, you know, the upbringing is kind of what shapes us to think about ourselves and what we deserve and what we don't deserve and what is okay and what is not okay. And, you know, um, cultures can, of course, like suck you in because they're attractive or, you know, maybe they're charismatic and that seems appealing at first. And then you realize, wait a minute, this is not exactly what I thought it was like that can certainly happen. But I think it is so important to figure out like, okay, well, how do we how do we have healthy boundaries and be safe people and at the same time know how to love our neighbor. Mm-hmm. and have healthy differentiation where it's like I can yes. stop here and you can start there <laughs> you know? like I right. don't have to my whole life isn't centered on you and your thoughts and your feelings and but at the same time I love you because God compels me to love you like the love of Jesus compels me to love you and I, I think that that's a really powerful um way to to want to strive to be in the world and I think it looks
0: like God and um, yeah it is attention yeah. to manage isn't it because it, is, it looks different for sure. with each person You know, it's going to look different with each person. And I think that's another powerful thing of just like, okay, with, you know, this person over here who votes differently, spends differently, acts differently, has different values, but they love Jesus and they claim Jesus. And you're like, okay, that might be, that might be a different approach than somebody who is outlandish and hateful and you know what I mean so mm-hmm. it's just this it I think that's why we all find it so hard right is because it's so nuanced and so complex to understand and it's there no one's a monolith you know no group right and no no no
2: no individual person is like the next so I think it yeah it can get so tricky yeah I think too even just with what you're saying Ashley I think I think where the local church is headed well my perspective is I think we're, you know, getting set up to see a real wave of true discipleship. Because what we've witnessed is that the church is not discipled. Like Christians in this nation are not discipled in the kingdom. And so I think that's really where we're headed. I think there's just, you know, we're watching people leave the church at unprecedented rates, we're watching just a lot of shaking, right? But I think the invitation at hand is this invitation to truly like come back to the undiluted gospel. You know, for me. That was where I had this real come to Jesus moment, you know, as a, as a 21 year old sitting in Africa and, um, had this just encounter with the Lord where I heard the Lord say, will, um, will you teach the next generation, the undiluted gospel? Hmm. And I sat there and I remember telling the Lord, I'm American. I don't know the undiluted gospel Mm. (laughs) and having this realization of like, I don't know the undiluted gospel. I know the American gospel, you know, and, Hmm. um, and I think that's where God is like really inviting us to come to this place of like, okay, we all have to get on this journey. All of us have to, you know, we've all been so deeply, in, you know, influenced by our culture and perspective. And, and then there's like the pendulum swings. And so we're, we react when we see something that doesn't work and we just all like, we are in a season of coming as children and let's, let's unlearn and relearn. Yeah. You know, the gospel, his way let's relearn kingdom. And it is so needed because, There's just, like, even this, you know, story of the Samaritans. Like, there's so many people on the side of the road that are hurting. Like, we need to figure this out, you know? Yeah.
1: I agree. I love how you define justice, too, Jen. You say justice is the restoration of every violation of love. Can you unpack that for us?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's so much argument over the term justice, the term social justice. Um, Yeah. You Mm -hmm. know, I started... um, Preaching about justice uh, twenty years ago, and met a met a lot of resistance, which shocking to me because I just didn't I didn't know I didn't know I didn't know guys totally. And um, I was like, we're all we all read the same Bible, right? right. And um, no, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> really. Really, we don't. And, um, so I was told, you know, um, social justice is not is not Christian. Blah blah blah. It's not biblical, on and on. Um, so I, it dove me into really diving into scripture of like, what is biblical justice, right? Because right. everybody's depending on what you know era you're from, depending on what news station you listen to, you're going to have a definition of justice. But what does the Bible say about justice? And so I really began to to dig into the Hebrew word mishpat, which is all over Scripture, which is many times what gets translated as justice in our Bibles, and mm-hmm. just cover to cover begin to study it, and I was just fascinated like just undone at this concept of biblical justice because um you know there's a there's a passage in Isaiah that says for I the Lord love justice so yeah i really think how you define justice is so much of how what we think God loves. So if you think justice is judgment, we think God loves judgment. So every time there's an earthquake or a hurricane, we're telling people <laughs> God is judging them, right? Like, and I'm like, that's wow. why we do this. Right. Um, and so it's so vital to really understand what biblical justice is. And, you know, basically cover to cover, it's all over scripture. And, and justice is really about God's order. It's about God's design. It's about God's dream, God's government, um, his original intention and design for humanity. And it's always paired in scripture with the outcast, right? With the orphan, mm-hmm. the widow, yeah. the, the foreigner, the lame. And, and so when you begin to look at this and you look at how it's, um, actually even in our English translations, many times it gets translated as, you know, um, defending the cause or, you know, we hear it in other ways. And when you begin to, it's the same word, mishpat. And so when mm-hmm. you begin to look at it, you know, the really the best biblical definition of justice that I, you know, found when you put it all together scripturally is it's all about restoration. It's Mm. about restoring every place where love has been violated and it's bringing it back to God's original intention and design. And Um, so really it's the blood of Jesus, right? It's, it's fixing what's wrong in the world. God didn't come to the world to condemn the world. He came to set the world right again. And, Hmm. and so it's really about restoration. It's about, um, and it's not just bringing it to like a zero, like a negative, like negative, you know, in your life, it's not just like making it a zero again. It's, it's making you plus a thousand in that area. Mm, Right. So it's like you experienced abuse. Well, he's not just going to, his heart isn't just to stop the abuse. His heart is to make you so powerful in that area and and leading others into freedom and walking in so much authority. Like, that's just how the kingdom of God works. Hmm. And um, and so, yeah, you know, when you look at all of that and you look at, at the role script uh, justice plays in scripture, um, justice is not a hippie millennial Christian elective, right? Justice right. is central <laughs> to the gospel. Like, when you look yes. at justice isn't something that like just some woke folk you know get to do no (laughs) justice is like the absolute like heart and soul of the gospel it's all about setting setting people in the world right again and yes and so yeah i think god is reawakening us to to what true justice is and how to because it's all over right like god has so much to say if you're listening and you're like, "Oh, I didn't know God had lots to say about immigration or how we pay our workers," or I mean, there's so much in Scripture mm-hmm. that that teaches us how to really build um, a just and equitable society. And um, yeah, so I think it's it's coming back to God's definition, and um, and really sticking to that. You know, I I can I just share a verse with you guys? Please, mm, yes, okay. Um, I've been thinking about this so much lately and it's, it's honestly one of the scariest verses <laughs> in the Bible, but mm. it really has, has, and I think it goes with what we're talking about it. It just was this morning was really in my just heart thinking about it. Ezekiel 16, chapter 16, verses mm. 49 and 50 says this. Now this was the son of your sister Sodom. Now you guys remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Mm-hmm. Like God mm-hmm. wiping them out. Yep. And I don't know about you, but I grew up thinking It was because they were all a bunch of perverts, right? (laughs) Well, that's how it's taught, you know? That's that's why God dealt with them. They were all a bunch of, like, sexually immoral, and God was pissed, right? And so He's going to wipe them out. Like, that's how I was taught. Same. (laughs) So when you read, it says, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, Mm. overfed, and unconcerned. Mm. They, They did not help the poor and needy. And... I just started thinking about that, like, oh my goodness. Like what was God's big beef like with the people there? It was that they were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned.
1: Oh right. Yes.
2: And it's mm. like the exact opposite of loving your neighbor, right? It's the yes. exact opposite of Micah six eight. What does God require of you? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. And and that's what love looks like. Love mm. looks like walking humbly. Love looks like doing justice. Love looks like loving mercy. And and I, I think this is kind of the shaking that we're in, where God is like, hey, guys, if you're going to follow me, it looks like something. Right. The narrow road looks like something. Loving your neighbor looks like something. And it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be challenging. But my goodness, it's going to be rewarding.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's not abstract, right? right? No. It's not something. It's not heady. It's It's in practice. It's every day. Yeah. It's in the littlest moments and the biggest moments. I think mm-hmm. uh, one of the things... Man, that was so good. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, woo, girl, whoo. <laughs> uh, thinking about uh, just you know parenting boys. I have a kid going into fifth grade, kid mm-hmm. going into first grade. And um, I keep reminding them as we talk through these spiritual principles, I'm like, this, this isn't when you get to be an adult. This is now. Like right. who you are becoming, how you spend... The six hours at school or the three hours at home with that you know whatever whatever you're doing you're you're putting this into practice now this isn't for later i'm not trying to stock up the storehouse this is to you just got to start metabolizing these ideas right
2: now Mm -hmm. yeah right now totally like how do i create a culture in my home with my kids that isn't arrogant that doesn't allow them to be entitled and arrogant how do i create a culture and disciple out of my children you know, being unconcerned. Like, how do I disciple that out of them, yes. right? Being overfed, like, how do I do that in myself? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's yeah. in the day to day, right? Cause mm-hmm. it's not these big theories. It's like, okay, what does it look like today? what does it look like today in my everyday with my kids in my grind today to do this? It's so
1: good. I feel like I I kept coming back in in three different chapters. I go to Ezekiel 34 Mm -hmm. and different, but I I kept bringing it up because I feel so strongly what you're saying, Jen, is God's word to us. Like he really is getting us to a more just and equitable place for those who have ears to hear what the spirit is saying. Like God wants to level this ground, you know, like he Mm -hmm. talks about that in the, in the prophets as well. Like he's, he's, leveling ground, you yeah. know, like what's been high will be brought low. <laughs> what's been basically under the ground will be lifted up like, yeah. you know, he's, he's making things level and mm-hmm. he's doing what he does and he's on the side of the righteous. And I think that, you know, what, how we've even defined what righteous looks like. It has an amount of money attached to it. It has certain things attached to it. It's always based in materialism yes. or consumerism yes. instead of really identifying like, no, God's anointing mm-hmm. is on the people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness and justice. Yeah. Like. He anoints those, you know, it doesn't matter what you have or don't have. It doesn't matter, you know, what you were brought up in and what your past is. And none of that matters. It's like God Mm -hmm. puts his favor on those who are hungry and thirsty And I think this this idea of just, you know, we have got to recognize that we are not on this side of heaven, you know, because God is like, hey, build a comfortable, beautiful little life and get a Range Rover and you know, chill, and you know, leave the church and that's fine. I I left for a while too. I'm, you know, we've talked about this many times. I'm not dogging that. Sometimes you have to step away and come back. Um, but the the beloved community of Christ, if you are a believer, we are here to build it. And and one of the centering pillars of that is to love your neighbor and you know that's the lord says he sums up the the laws and all the commands with that like love Mm. the lord your god with all your heart all your soul all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself so when you focus on god and when he is your first love you know then that the natural outpouring of beholding the lord is to see his image in others and i think that this idea of loving our neighbor has got to be a foundational truth in our in our faith practices in our spiritual practices and the way we do our relationships. Like, you know, it is, you know, Tiffany talked about proximity. Jen talked about restoration. Like there is so much that we forget as we gaze at one another, you know, in our hurry, in our hustle and bustle, in our um, ideas, again, that are not godly, (laughs) that are not God's perspective of people. It could be Mm -hmm. in our home, it could be at our job, it can be in our faith community. And how are we practically undoing that? How are we practically Mm -hmm. asking the questions that will help us thoughtfully reflect and get curious about ourselves, about others, and change the way that we relate? Because that Mm -hmm. is one of the most important things we can
2: do as disciples.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. so
2: good. And sometimes, you know, loving your neighbor is, is loving the annoying Christian.
1: Absolutely. You know, they, are
2: the they are the hardest truly. to love. They're oh, the hardest to love. I truly. the offense. <laughs> I because because you some
0: expectations, yes, right? Yes. You have this yes, baseline yes. expectation. They don't meet it. And you're like, come on, man.
2: Yeah. Come like, on. just do right. Like, <laughs> totally. do something. You know? Yes. Totally. Can mm. I share one last thing really quick? Please. Yes. Okay. You know, in just talking about this, something I've, I've been thinking about is, you know, I I had this experience as a kid that like rocked my world. You know, I had my little precious, precious moments Bible. Did y'all have a precious moments? And yeah, <laughs> girl, mm-hmm. I had so much. Yes. 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 Um, and I, I read this story as a little kid about the sheep and the goats and you referenced that, uh, in this chapter, but where, where Jesus is, su- is separating the sheep and the goats. Right. And, and how he says what you did to the least of these you did to me. And, yeah. you know, talking about the sick and the poor and all the things. And, um, I was so messed up by that. that's that's a lot of association Jesus right. like how I treat these people because sometimes it's it's the annoying Christian that is the sick right yep. or the who the hypocrite that is the poor like it, how I treat people is a direct reflection of how I treat God and
1: mm.
2: um, it really hit that's me. a hard word it is a hard word <laughs> and it really hit me when I was wrestling through that like God you don't just say you like these people you say like directly associate with them, right? Like direct association. And so um, I, right after my first uh, child was born, my oldest, I was, you know, she was a newborn and I just felt the Lord said, imagine if she was ripped out of your home and was in a vulnerable position and just taken, stolen from you. How, you know, what would you do as a parent? And I'm like, "What? this is awful. Like, you know, life would end. Like I, I would do everything in my power to, to love her and find her and bring her home. Like life doesn't go on as normal. And And I felt the Lord just challenge me and say, that's how I feel about every human. Like, sin ripped every, you know, humanity from me. And Mm. um, it's my heart to pursue every person. Like, whether you like them or not is irrelevant. Like, you know, just this passion in the Father's heart for humanity and so it matters. Like if somebody came along and, and picked up my child in another country on the street and took care of her, like what you've done for her, you've just done for me. Yeah. And I begin to realize in that moment, like, oh, it is true. Like how I treat, whether it's, you know, somebody who votes different than me or looks different than me or is annoying or whatever, you know, is hurting, is marginalized, is a direct reflection of how I'm worshiping God mm, yeah and dang that's a hard pill to swallow hard
0: yes, <laughs> yes. oh Jesus it is right
2: but I think that's where once we can really get that like you know it's actually a lot you know we're a lot happier when we're loving people
0: right? so true, yeah, yeah. true. So, we're the best version of heard. ourselves when that's we're yeah. when we're doing that uh a friend of mine at bible study always says you might you might be the only bible somebody reads yeah you are jesus with skin on so yep. if that's the case and if that's ref- it, that's reflected in your you know level of maturity and how you treat people is really the indicator of who you are mm-hmm. then that's a pretty important yeah. thing yeah. all right well we're so glad to have you jen thank you so much for yes. joining us absolutely and good to this- be here with you Yes, so 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 good. As we're wrapping up our week three. We're just about halfway there of "Love Is the Resistance," and I just want to encourage you. If you have enjoyed this conversation, we have literally just given you a taster. It's like when your mama made a cake and then she gave a spoon, just one spoonful of the batter, and you're like, "I would like more of that funfetti cake." Well, here's how you get more <laughs> of the funfetti cake fully baked. You go to the show notes and you pre-order this incredible work and. If you haven't heard it here first, if you have not heard this, you get a free audiobook plus so many other goodies when you pre-order. Love is the resistance, and follow the steps to redeem your audiobook. So you're really getting two for the price of one. It's mm-hmm. so incredible, mm-hmm. and this this work will change you. It's changed me. It's changed yep. Jen, and yep. the ripples from Ashley's work is just gonna. It's just mind blowing. I, I was in tears this morning just thinking about how this is gonna change. Why? Because words shape world so we encourage you pre-order that we are so thankful to have you and we will see you next week bye 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 thank you hey listeners remember to subscribe and comment it helps others to find the show to learn more about tiffany's writing speaking or books visit tiffanybloom.com to learn more about ashley's writing speaking or books visit ashabercrombie.org see you next week